I thought, okay, what makes a black belt listener? Like what makes someone great at listening? So I just got really fascinated with this subject. So I've been like delving in over the last few months and I found some really interesting things. Welcome to Happy Millionaire, a show about how to make profit with a positive impact and stay happy along the way. So yeah, Rochelle is doing her hen's lunch thing today and uh, it was a bit of a madhouse earlier. Her mum flew all the way from Sydney to London to surprise her for this hen's lunch, which is pretty mad in itself. And uh, we've had a whole bunch of her girlfriends over here. They're all like, you know, getting ready and like champagne. And now just got like, peace and quiet. I'm looking after Nutmeg, little puppy, and uh, doing this. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to chatting, man. They've got I've got a, quite a few things yeah, that I yeah. want to chat to you about. But um, I'll give you an update on the business and everything. But how are you? Yeah, everything is good, man. Um, I'm just uh, a bit jokes if the, they all come back while we're recording the podcast. We're like, yeah. Like 20 women run into there going, hey, that, will going <laughs> <laughs> that will not be jokes. That will not be jokes. That'll be very loud. For me, it'll be. They're fun. They're fun girls. They're, a lot of them have got like kids and stuff. So you'd think they're a bit tamer, but they're Aussie. So they're, they're, they're going to be pretty they loud. still got it. Yeah. 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 No, no. Looking forward to the chat as well, mate. I think there's a, we're going to cover probably a few topics today. I definitely want to stick some curveballs in for you and for All us. Right. So okay. it should be a fun one. We're just talking about the stag. So, it was in New Orleans. It was a big surprise. A bunch of my friends are from America. And then you flew all the way from Bali. You you, uh, you you pulled the longest trip. How was Bali? Oh, man. Bali is incredible. Like, everyone talks about it. I think you'll find a lot of people that in couples, like, they've probably gone there because it's just one of those places you got to go. But, you know, yeah. if you're just going there to check it out just as a holiday, it is... It's stunning. It's incredible. It's like the best way I describe it is like a mix of like Thailand meets like Colombia. You've got mm. the peaceful, exotic part of, um, let's say, Thailand, the beaches. And then you've got this like crazy energy vibe coming from like Colombia. It's just like this unbelievable mix. And yeah. yeah, honestly, it was probably one of the best places I've ever visited. Like it was one of those places where you went there and you went, wow, okay, do you know what? I could actually live here. Um, no way everyone says that whenever they go on holiday <laughs> yeah yeah it's true it's true you're like okay but i did actually like i could foresee myself like staying there for a window of my life like a chapter like you know whether it's six months year two okay yeah. like not forever but like you now you could see yourself having an incredible life there that's something i definitely want to chat to you about later as well all right like, so let's talk about it now yeah look i think where you live is a big big part of your happiness right this is the happy millionaire podcast and you know, even like Naval has famously said, where you live determines a big, big part of your happiness. So, yeah, I feel let's let's dive into it. So, like, because I'm thinking, obviously, getting married this year, we want to start a family at some point pretty soon. We have a puppy already. We live in the centre of London. Rochelle works in Central. Where, because I can work wherever, apart from when I'm doing clinical work, I can generally do my podcasts, the tech stuff my speaking events are generally like either virtual or I make the special effort to go in uh, to do that. So I can, I mean, when I was in Australia earlier this year, I was literally working from like my future mother-in-law's desk. So I, I can generally work anywhere, yeah, yeah. but there are loads of, you know, trade-offs, I guess, from, you know, depending on where, where you want to actually be located. Well, what do you think? I think it's a very personal decision. I don't think there is a right answer. And I think the way I look at it is that there's different chapters and, I think the big decision for me is just like, you know, where do I want to live for a long period of like the long chapter, right? And that's probably yeah. when you first have kids and you want to go through schooling and that, because I think that window is probably like 
15 years, 10, 15 years, right? Yeah. If you look at data or if you just look at your friends, like there's that big window where you live in a property and you're somewhere and you really build a family and live your life in that area. And I think that's the period it feels like you're coming towards. So I think it depends on the type of person you are, right? I'm a creature of habit. I like routine. Like I get up first thing in the morning, 5, yeah. 5.30 in the morning. I do like, you know, my meditation, stretch routine, affirmations, all that kind of jazz. I like to have a park near me that I can go to. Like I have like loads of things that I feel that are, I need to have sort of built into my life. And I and for some people, that sounds super boring. They're a bit more nomadic. They want to like, you know, pick up the bags and go somewhere new every three months. That's just like not me. And also, I think when you have kids in the equation, you can live that nomadic lifestyle, but there are trade-offs in terms of like, you know, you have to put a lot more effort into homeschooling or like just researching like where they're going to have the best education opportunities, which is important for me. And the other thing is like how much space you actually want and how much you're willing to invest in that. So living in the center of London, unless you can afford a house like 1.52 million plus, it ain't going to happen in terms of like having amount of space unless you want to go further outside, but then you trade off like your commute. Mm. So I know it's a, it's a bit of a tough one because as an entrepreneur, a term that I'm like getting used to calling myself, it's easier for me to do what I want to do on a day-to-day basis than it is my partner who is tied to a job where she has to be present mm. in the office and all the rest of it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, you, you make the choice to live in central London. Why? For me, like I've realized a lot of my life is around central London because the people I meet, you know, all my startups are in London, the investors, a lot of my friends, um, like right now. And plus my parents, I'm only like 30 minutes away from my parents. Yeah. So for me, like central London is, it just makes sense. Weirdly, there's no one suburb that I've fallen in love with or like even further out. Like some people love like Essex or like yeah. Hampstead or like, you know, some area like North London or even like Reading or Surrey, whatever it is. Like I just haven't fallen in love with any of those areas. Like maybe in the future. I do want to be near my parents. Like I do, you know, as they, you know, as they get older, I do want to be at least like 45 minutes to hour away from them and they're based in Essex. Like that would be, I think that is important um but at the same time i think it all depends a lot with your partner right like in your case with rochelle you know you're very lucky and blessed that you can work from anywhere whereas obviously rochelle isn't so i think the one thing i have noticed that the people that have moved further out you know their property is much bigger it's much more spacious and like you know they are living that amazing suburb life but they, they don't really socialize that much they claim they will and they'll hold like these hold these parties and stuff but they don't like i've watched yeah. them a lot i've watched a lot of my friends family like they're like yeah yeah we're gonna go further out everyone's i'm gonna invite everyone and like honestly like they don't they, they, they become, don't yeah like, exactly and then they regret it um so i've seen that happen as well and i think you gotta ask yourself are you actually one of those people that will make an effort because a lot of people that go out actually don't make much effort in the third before and now they think they will when they go out but of course they're not so i think that's an interesting pattern i've realized yeah, I think like there are a few things that I, if I'm painting a picture of the perfect sort of setup I have, right, this is a bit like blue sky thinking, but close enough to parents, but not too close that they can sort of, you know, just pop in whenever. Like, I, I think it should always be like a, a sort of like organized fun uh, visit yeah, yeah. where like they're not, they're involved, but not too involved because, you know, Indian parents, they yeah, can yeah. definitely be a bit overbearing. Um, second thing, you're close enough to your friends where you can just have like a random meetup. Like you can call me and be like, oh, let's meet up in the park or let's go for mm. lunch or whatever. 
Uh, you want to be walking distance to your favorite coffee store. I think that's really important, which is why for me, even though you can get like a big mansion in the middle of like Lancashire, that's not attractive to me because I want to be able to go out and like see other people and like, you know, converse or take my dog out and all that rest of it. And the other thing that I want to make sure that we've built into our life is the opportunity to go and spend at least one to two months uh, in Australia to, to make sure like, you know, Rochelle is getting time to see her family and her parents. She's made that decision to stay in London and that's there's a trade-off there. But yeah. like I've got friends in Australia used to live there, you know, worked there for like two years. I've got like a real connection with Australia. And so I want to have to build that in somehow. Um, and she she can work from the offices there actually. I, I'm already like forward thinking like to try and make this a reality. Um, but yeah, I mean, w w what would yours be? Like if you if you had a country that you could lay your roots down, where, where would that be? This is another interesting one, right? Because I speak to a lot of people and they would love to live, work, live abroad, right? And I guess I've been very blessed. I've had a chance to live in a, quite a few different countries, right? I've lived in like New York, Madrid. I've done some in Paris. So I've had some really good like periods of being away. And so that bug in me or that that need is, no, is not as strong. But however, mm. like if there is this... Um, like I can see myself being one, two years um, somewhere for a period, but I can't see it being in the long term. I just, honestly, I do love London. So I think I'll always come back here. Um, but I can see myself doing these small chapters. I don't know, I've got this weird picture of like being near like um, Hyde Park or Regent's Park and staying in like one of those crescents or somewhere. I don't know. I can see myself being there, but I can see myself doing that because I, I'm quite sociable. I like hosting events or meeting up people. So I can see myself doing that. And then also, you know, the big question is like, do you rent or buy? And like, when do you buy? And, um, you know, my view on that is just that I think that house where you, or that period where you are saying that 10, 15 years, I think that's the moment you buy. One of the silly mistakes I made, well, I think it's silly, is I actually bought, I bought, I own two flats and I'm selling them both. I'm in the process, I've already sold one, nearly, nearly. Whoever's listening, please can just sign the papers and get on with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the other one I'm in the process of selling, like, honestly, like me holding these properties, like, yes, you make rental money and all that sort of stuff, but the stress of holding flats. I don't think, in my mind, I think we're in this era where in the old days, like they are holding properties, you've got this amazing rental income. And I don't know, I just don't think it's as good now. And I don't know, I don't enjoy managing properties. I just don't. Mate, let me double click on that because my sort of mentality is very much influenced by my parents, right? Who are like, you know, make sure you get yourself a decent asset, like a property, make sure it's like, you know, money working for you and then just like build on top of that. And I yeah. think that's sort of like been a common thread through success stories, particularly within our community over the last like few decades that we've sort of, you know, bit putting down roots in, in the UK and, and abroad as well. But I hear a lot of tech bros yeah. like you talking about why you should be renting and actually putting your capital in, you know, across different sort of uh, asset classes beyond property what, what why is that because I, I i'm like no i want to save up want to get mortgage and then like you know put my roots down here and then like if i if i want to move then i just put the house up I, I guess it's you know it's not as easy as just clicking a button and moving across your assets so why why do you like people in tech particularly have an aversion to buying buying property and renting instead sometimes a lot of people that maybe in their 20s they buy a flat in london but what they're not realizing is that they're not going to live in that place forever. It's only going to be a, few, a chapter, like two, three, four years, right? And then they're going to go most likely buy something else. So what you're now going to do with that asset, like properties don't make that much money, right? Like the appreciation may be like 5% a year and you might get some rental income if you rent it, which is going to be like three, 4%. So let's say you own a property that's 
you know, half a million, right? And you make 3%, you might be making like 15,000 pounds, but you've just like deposited a good chunk of your money. So like, I think the question I ask is that, are you going to carry on owning that flat and then go buy another house? Are you going to need to sell that flat to mm. then buy your bigger house? But then that whole period of you buying and then selling, like you're paying stamp duty, you're going to go through that stress of selling. And yes, you save probably a little bit of money on rent because you're paying for the mortgage instead of paying for the rent. And yes, you may be saving some, but like the amount of headache you're going through, you know, and then the second question, the other part is like, can you make a better return on your money somewhere else? And, and this again is a personal situation where like we're all experience in different areas like mine is tech and I do understand the stock market because I've had a short space in finance so I get I spent you know I had a few years in fact so I get the stock market and I get um the tech side um and right now I can get very good return for my money I can probably make 30 to 50 percent a year on so if I have 100,000 pounds I reckon I could turn that to 130 to 150,000 pounds right I'm very lucky because I've got the experience right I built it up I'm not didn't just come but I have, so therefore I can get a better return with my money in my tech investments or my stock investments versus um the house however the house is a safe bet so what I'm doing is more risky so I but I'm very high risk I'm the, I'm the opposite I'm like I'm probably more risk averse saying that I'm probably less risk averse than most of my colleagues in like medicine or like traditional sort of professional jobs because yeah. I'm throwing the dice, uh, so to speak, and starting a tech company. But I'm probably more risk averse than you because that's to me sounds like super risky. Like I, I, I would much rather just, <laughs> yeah. you know, give it to a wealth manager or like put it in a bank, even though bank, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a bit difficult position right now with inflation so high but for me a safer bet is like buy property somewhere around or just outside london it's going to appreciate over a 10 20 year period anyway and i can just sort of forget about it i don't yeah. think we're going to get a point where it's going to ever go below what the selling price was but sounds like you've got a lot more you're bullish on like your uh, abilities to convert ca cash what, yeah, so I guess it's that, but then also like, I think if, let's say you did buy a flat, right? Let's, let's say you bought a flat for half a million pounds, right? Um, in four years time, you now want to buy a house. And most likely you want to buy something that's really nice, right? You want to go up, right? Most likely you don't want to go down. You don't want to be flat. You want to buy something bigger, right? Mm. And also buy something bigger, you're going to obviously have to put a bigger deposit, right? And therefore most likely to buy the best house, because one thing I've learned from all my friends who've got like houses where it's small, they said, I wish I got something a bit bigger because they realize, wow, this is a 15 year like period. And so most likely to have the cash to build that bigger house, you're gonna to have to sell your initial flat. So one other point to just make this even more complex uh, yeah, is that you probably wanna stay in, in a, you probably wanna stay in a flat which is nicer than the one you can buy. There's probably a good chance that might happen as well. So therefore you're in this like, you know, I've seen loads of my friends who buy it, like stay in these flats, which they're like, yeah, it's all right, I'll do it up. And they spend a year doing it up or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's okay. Where they could have just paid a bit more like a bit more through rent, but like they're now staying in something that they're happier with. And you know, there's four years they're happier. This brings me on nicely to a topic I wanted to ask you about. Have you heard of something called the marshmallow test? <laughs> no, but let, you never let's heard of it. You it. never heard of it. It's like a, like a psychological. Actually, wait, 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 wait. Do you know what? Yes, I have, but it was honestly, I read about it probably a couple of years ago. So just. I'll, I'll tell you about it. So, so basically, uh, the reason why I came across this is because. Uh, it's relevant to our discussion right now, but I think it's also relevant in sort of my space of of like health and well-being and, and all the rest of it. And actually, the impact of investing in our 
psychological skills and our sort of like self-improvement um, as it pertains to like physical well-being. But anyway, like long story short, in the 60s, there was this guy called Walter Mitchell or something like that. It's not important. Walmart. So so, <laughs> so in, the in, in this experiment at Stanford where they do a lot of behavioral psychology experiments and all this kind of stuff, they've got a whole bunch of kids and they, uh, they put them in this room uh, and they gave them these marshmallows, like one each, right? And they would say, here's a marshmallow. I'll leave the room. I'm going to come back in like 10 minutes. If you don't eat the marshmallow, I'm going to give you two marshmallows, two marshmallows. And they leave the room. And then some of the kids are like, fuck this. I'm just going to eat the marshmallow. They eat the marshmallow. And then other kids are able to delay gratification with the expectation that, you know what, I'm going to get two marshmallows in the future. And what they found, they followed up these, these kids and they've done this like a repeated number of times. They found that those people who are able to delay gratification have better life outcomes. So they, they measured their like grades mm. in school, their educational attainment, even things like weight, like BMI and, and other sort of life measures of like, you know, how happy they are and contentment and stuff. And this brings me on to a nice fact because what you're saying is sort of, maybe you could argue it's the antithesis of that because you're saying that like right now I can afford to rent a much nicer place that I'm in at this point in time. Uh, you know, if I'm spending mm. four and a half, 5k a month, let's say in London, I can get like a nice, like three bed apartment. It's close to a park or whatever, whatever. Or I can like rent something a lot smaller, save up such that I can buy a place that I own, or I can like rent something better in the future. I I'm not sure, but like this whole sort of process of delayed gratification, something I'm trying to sort of infuse into my life on a day-to-day -day basis because i think it's a really really important thing what do you what do you think it is quite linked to what we said before right because i say that you're holding back on buying something now and buy something mm. bigger later on yeah also when you're saying that i think like one thing that's really comes pops out um when i left my corporate job to then set my tech company up like there was a period for two years where i made no money right i was i went back to go live with my parents yeah you know i left a an incredible job in banking on the trading floor to essentially set my own company up. And for two years, I went back home, made no money. And even my first salary was like 30 grand. And then it went up to 40, 50, and eventually got to an okay amount, right? But I, the only time I made my serious money in the last, um, let's say the last eight years, right? Was actually when I sold some of my shares in my company. But I missed out for the last eight years. Like I didn't make much good salary. Like, so if you had to benchmark, so if we did two lives, right, you've got the corporate life, like, and loads of my friends went on the corporate side over the eight year period. Yes, they made very good sums of money. Um, but actually, if you look at it now, it's like, it's a different story, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you could say I'm lucky as well, though. But there's also a bit of luck because maybe, you know, I'm lucky to have got an exit. But I did foresee this happening, though. I did. I, I knew that I would not I'd suffer from a money perspective for seven, eight years. But I knew there would be this moment where um, if I love what I do and I go for it, I'll make money. I just yeah. knew I would. So I think that in my in my mind, that is a marshmallow test that I went through. 100%. Uh, I, I agree. And actually, as you're saying that, I'm realizing that this whole concept of delayed gratification is is applicable probably to most entrepreneurs in their their ability yeah. to succeed. Using my example, and I'm not like, you know, trying to boast on, on, on the pod or whatever, but even from the point of starting Doctor's Kitchen, my podcast uh, alone will satisfy a, a good sort of six-figure sum salary every single year. 
on top of that, adding my books as well, you know, that's another six figure uh, a year salary. On top of that, like the corporate gigs and all the rest of it, you know, that's that's a, a good, like decent amount of wealth for one person to have with minimal Sorry. team. So it's it's actually like not a bad lifestyle. But what I've done is put all of that money, pay myself pittance over the last few years. I mean, the podcast took a, a while to get to that point, you know, it was three years without making a single penny. But I'm putting all that capital into my tech company, not paying myself anything. And so I've, I'm in the process of constantly delaying gratification. I'm not like a pauper or anything. Like that. I'm not sleeping on the streets, but you know, I, I'm delaying and taking a massive personal risk by putting everything into my tech company, building it from scratch, bootstrapping mm. it to the point where now, you know, it, we're still not profitable, but I'm pushing a big rock that I've made myself uphill. I have that sort of like, confidence in myself i think that's really important as well that you can actually achieve it but still it's everything is a massive gamble that you've done and that i've just had an epiphany as you were talking about it now that i'm kind of like currently doing you know you have reached the top of what you do but you're now going to another category like let's call it another category maybe bigger or smaller i don't know but you're coming you're joining the tech category um where i guess i am and yes you're basically restarting but i feel that if you deliver what you plan to do, which I know you will, in the tech space that's bigger than the others. So you've rolled the die. Like, you know, I think it's rolling the die. And I think it's just like relationships, right? Like I've seen people go into relationships with certain people where they're good, like they're good people to go be be in a relationship and even potentially marry because, you know, they may find find a way for it to work. But you could argue, you could argue that if they'd waited, they could have found someone better. To use a colloquial term, like people always talk about like settling, oh, I settled for this salary or I settled for this person. I, you also have to measure that against the inherent risk. Like if you look at most startups, I, I think it's some crazy statistic, like over 90% will go to zero. Yeah. Uh, and if you sort of delay too long, it's like, well, you're going to end up with nothing. So there's like that fine balance that everyone's trying to mm. to curate of like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delay it just enough such that I get the win that I'm happy with. Yeah. And I think it is also about like what actually makes you happy because for a lot of people, having a nice salary with a consistent income Income, doing something that you love is a fantastic outcome and you have to sort of like measure it against okay what's actually going to make you happy what what actually do you want to achieve and actually are you doing this out of ego mm. or are you doing out of like a genuine sort of passion to create you know health and well-being for people like inspire people whatever your your ambitions are I've had to sort of, sort of like think mm. about that a lot myself in this whole journey you know I think life's full of loads of games right you've got the um You've got the career game, you've got the relationship game, you've got like the impact game, like, you know, how much can you give back? You might have the, let's have a kid game. You know, you've got, hey, kind of the best relationship game. There's so many like games to play in life. And I think for the last eight, nine years, I definitely went all in on, you know, the career game. And yeah, I'm super satisfied in that space. And I, it is like my passion and I'll continue it. But yeah, I think life's about playing the different games, right? And I think for me, this is, like starting the podcast, you know, I've been kicking the can about a bazillion times and I'm yeah, doing man. it now. And, you know, this is the game I want to play as well as some other games. So I think that's what we all go through in phases in life, right? We need to just make sure we play different games. What, what have you got on your list? There's like, you know, one topic that I've really dug deep in, right? Um, so at the moment, um, 
getting basically lots of people pitching to my brother and me for investments, right? So for context sake, my brother and me, we've now invested in like 30 different businesses. And I love the process. Like I love, you know, meeting these founders and they're pitching to me. And what I've realized is that some of the conversations is great. Like, you know, I love it. And then honestly, there's a big number where like, honestly, it's just not enjoyable. Like I just don't enjoy the process. Okay, sometimes maybe the idea is not good and, you know, therefore I may have lost interest. But most mm. of the ideas that come to me are through referrals. So, you know, people that I really respect in the community have, you know, sent me these people. So they're usually vetted deals. So they're usually quite good deals. But so I've been trying to work out, like, what, what's been happening in these conversations? Like, why, why are they not that, why am I not that engaged or excited? And honestly, the light bulb moment hit me probably, like, a few months ago. And I realized that, what was happening was I was speaking to these people. I was asking them questions, like these founders. And what I realized was they weren't answering my questions. I know it sounds so obvious, but they just like, I'd ask a question and they'll just be talking about something else. And Give me an example. Like what, what were they talking about? So, you know, a simple one would be like, you know, why, why you, um, like why this problem, right? And they'll just start talking about all the other problems that they looked at. And then they came back to this one, but like, you know, they've just like lost my engagement for five, 10 minutes. It's like they had this story already planned in their head. Yeah, yeah. Um, that they wanted to just release. Whereas I just like, hey, let's talk about this one. Like, why this one, right? But they talked me about like two or three of the other ones, which are totally unrelated, right? It's like, you know, they're trying to maybe create um, a product on um, like health meals, right? But then they're, like, they're now talking about how they were creating like, this advertising business and something else. Like, they're totally unrelated. And I'm just like, God, man, like, you know, just... I just ask a simple question or like, you know, how much you're looking to raise? And they'll be like, they just go off on some random topic. And I'm just like, just tell me how much you're looking to raise, dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. On. Yeah. Like, and what it comes down to is that when you're listening, you're trying to find for things that maybe you agree with that person or disagree, or you've got stuff on your mind and you just want to release it. Right. And the actual ability to listen from humans is what I discovered in this period is not very good. Um, mm. And it's both for men and women, right? But I can tell you one thing, women were better, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you even see it with friends, right? Like you're, you're chatting some friends and they're just like, not there. Like they're not really listening, right? And um, for us guys, like women always say that oh, we're not very good at dating and like, like, you know, it's like we have this like walk around this like gold medal or some tattoo on our head saying shit listener, like us men, but like, you know, it's something that I've been like quite fascinated about. It's like what I thought, okay, what makes a black belt listener? Like what 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 makes someone great at listening? So I just got really fascinated with this subject. So I've been like delving in over the last few months and mm. I just went on a massive mission to like read and research, speak to people. Um I, I sometimes have these little mini projects and I like disappear for a few days and I'm just like Googling and listening to videos and I found some really interesting things. Yeah, go on, tell me. I was gonna ask like what what key attributes have you found to make someone a better listener because I'm, I'm a terrible listener especially when it comes to like m me and Rochelle but I mean she always reminds me of that but like <laughs> how do you become a better listener okay before I go into some of the the gems I found right like what I found which was interesting was that when when someone's speaking you only retain like 25% of information so we would generally like don't retain much anyway and you know, you've got this conversation happening in your head and you've got this conversation happening, right? So like with me, you're listening to me, 
which is maybe generating some thoughts. And you're listening to yourself and you're listening to me. It's like, you're a bit confused. Which one should I speak about? So like, we're going through this massive like cycle. On, and also on the internet, by the way, there's a lot of crap on like how to be a good listener. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, empathetic. Like all the classic stuff. You're like, hey, we've got two ears, one mouth. Like, you know, all this like boring stuff. Not boring, but it's just like, hey, like this is like, dude, like, come on. It's like, pretty like, obvious. Give me the yeah, good yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, I finally yeah. found something. There's this guy called um, Yen Su, which is this um, Chinese like, monk or just a spiritual teacher. Like, and he's just a really deep, dude and he said something that to me was quite profound the best listeners don't listen with their ears they listen with their eyes and their heart and then their ears so the best listeners are just feeling with their eyes and their heart what the other person is saying and what that is is you're basically now like really trying to be them you'll feel it by feeling their energy you can feel their emotion you can feel like their heart and then the words, which is the ears. And what he really said was that listening is not just about the ears, it's actually a full experience. Like listening is not you listen to my words, it's listening to my energy, my emotions, like how I'm feeling, um, like, and that's more important than the words. And it's it's actually the opposite of what we've been taught because everyone goes, hey, you, you know, you've got two ears, one mouth, like listen with your ears, but actually listening is not, it's more about the feeling first and then the words. Mm-hmm. Um, and weirdly it's quite hard because I've been trained to listen with my ears like I'm listening to words all the time I don't know it's only when that person said that listen with your eyes and heart it all started to make sense because showing empathy is like you being that person what happens is to be that person you have to be them and to be them you've got to feel the energy and emotion so that's first and then the words so it was the first like light bulb moment for me to go okay wow like that's what real listening and that's what like life coaches do that's what like mm. you you know they just like they take that space they're feeling it so do you have a life coach yeah i do um i've had one for like probably the last four years the person i've been with right now I've been with that person for a year and like every two weeks i speak to them yeah it's probably one of the best things i do hands down what do you chat to them about like every two weeks is it like how you're feeling, what you're up to in business, or how does it structure? I, I I haven't had a life coach. I've only had a business coach. I've had some life coaching where it's like a lot more structured. You come in with like a really strict agenda and it's a bit more like militant, um, which is good. Like some people like that sort of structure. I'm more of a flow person when it comes to these. And we really just talk about some of the key things that are in my life. And it's probably around just how I'm feeling in life, like some things that I've learned maybe over the last two weeks. Um, we'll talk a bit maybe about some challenges maybe at work, relationships. Mm. So right now, like I'm single, so I've, you know, I've come out of a relationship and I'm single. So I'm like, you know, therefore I'm going through obviously different emotions through that journey. So we talk a bit about that. So it's really topics that are on my mind and it's just a way for me to like release it. Like the, the goal of a life coach is to create space or like use their heart and eyes to feel me and let release that emotion out of me it's just like it's all of this like blocked up energy in us we just need to release it out and that's what the life coach does is cleansing me to hopefully so i can be more pure um for the world like that's how i look at it because i'm dirty There's inside. a lot of cleansing like to all do of us. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely gonna be a joke in there uh that's cool man i didn't know that i had no yeah, idea so why haven't you got one why haven't, uh, why haven't well, you, have, you, I think what have you thought about I'm, it 
You thought about I it? I thought about it, but like, I think my, my sort of um, thinking about it is kind of superficial. Like I'm thinking of like, how am I gonna accelerate my business? How am I gonna, you know, uh, ensure that uh, I, it's everything is aligned with what I want to build. You know, my sort of focus, as you know, like whenever we're chatting on the phone is, okay, what are the next steps for me? What, how, how do I ensure that I, I'm going to achieve my goals? Uh, and so that's why I'm sort of like on the superficial edge. I feel like I'm kind of aligned. Like I, as a result of my job, I get to speak to some incredible minds and incredible people who always talk about alignment. And I feel that alignment but you're right, man. I should probably get like some sessions where I speak to a life coach just so I can actually dive a bit deeper. I'm pretty, I feel like I don't bullshit myself. Hmm. I, I feel that if I know that uh, I'm saying something with my mouth, but in my head and my heart, I'm feeling something different. I can call myself out about it. And it doesn't get so far down hmm. the road where I'm like in a position where I, I feel like I can't get out of it or I feel stuck. And I think that sort of um, mismatch between uh, what people really want and what they're doing. Like, I, I feel like I don't have that. So maybe I've never felt the need for a life coach in that respect, but maybe there's a bit of arrogance around there. Like, how much can a life coach actually help me? I'm sure they could. No, what you're saying is that you're living in congruence, right? It's basically what you're saying, right? You're living with what your heart's telling you, right? That's beautiful. What I found was, I think life coach is one of those things where... It's like having a personal trainer in the gym. I'm hoping everyone's probably tried a personal trainer session, right? It's like sometimes you don't realize there's other levels. So life coach will push you or just like in, in, in a very gentle way, making you think a bit more about your yeah. decisions to maybe dream bigger or to maybe change, like, you know, question some of your thoughts because sometimes we say things which actually may not be the right thing. And they might be blatantly obvious to someone else, but to us it may not be. One thing, for example, for me which I'm happy to share is like on like dating right like I felt like I've got a lot to offer someone and we went through like you know all those different areas what I wasn't factoring enough on no matter what I bring a relationship whoever I meet it's a, it's a two-way thing right like fine I might bring a lot but they might not care like what I've got may not be right for them it's like a it's a two-way decision I have to pick them and they have to pick me and like the moments if like for example someone didn't pick me I'll get like really like emotional I'll be like oh, what's going on like what's and like because we all in you know in our own lens we all think we're great right but you know the moment we get someone that maybe doesn't like us and we can't figure it out we start trying to put logic into it like life is illogical like I was trying to make logic out of an illogical situation right mm. it's like in goals there's like finite finite goals like a finite goal would be like hey okay you are now in a relationship you you've you've made that goal but there's also an infinite one is like hey like is this partner the right one for me or is this like th there is no right answer um mm. and it was only when he started questioning he's like hey like you're talking a lot about what you bring like have you thought like they may not like what you've got like it sounds so simple but it's just like they make you look in the lens of the other person a bit more. We sometimes like get in our own little world where like, you know, you think you're on top of the world, everything's all perfect, everything's all good, but like, hey, there was a logical, like it might not work out. And like, it just gives you another view. And plus they hold you accountable. So sometimes I say stuff on the session and then like next week I go in, I'm like, promise something. I'm like, oh shit, he's gonna catch me out. Please don't, I'm like trying to hide that. This kind of brings me on to another topic I actually, I wrote down in the document here actually, it's called the Stockdale Paradox. and. I think the reason why I haven't invested the time and energy into getting a life coach is because I feel like I know a lot about the the teachings and the learnings. I know a lot about the exercises. 
for me, it's more about implementation, actually giving myself the time to implement them. So the stock, have you heard of the Stockdale Paradox? It's like, no. uh, it's, it's fairly well known, I think more in the US. But so Stockdale, this guy, he was a, a Vietnam prisoner of war and he was locked up in this like infamous prison. I don't want to get into too much detail, but like he was badly, brutally sort of tortured right probably got like a yeah. whole bunch of like medals and stuff when he came back but basically the stockdale paradox is a technique where you're not dosing your reality with toxic positivity you're not just saying oh everything's hunky-dory like you know i'm actually very happy and i'm like i'm grateful with the experience you're confronting the brutal reality of like this is fucking shit but you have this faith that you will prevail in the end like you know there there is going to be uh, a good ending to your story it's shit right now but you know at some point in the future i have faith that it's going to improve i think this kind of became popular during the pandemic where people were turning more to like stoicism like you mm. know i know ryan holiday's book the daily stoic became like a bestseller on amazon even though it's like written a few years ago you know a lot of people started reading meditations like, even i picked up meditations for like the second time and i started reading a lot about it but i, I think as it pertains to this podcast in terms of like entrepreneurs and and you know happiness and stuff paul graham has this this famous saying about like startups being uh, the same as being punched and repeatedly in the face mm. but working in a corporate is is like being waterboarded i don't fully agree with the, the statement but the, but the the premise of it being like a very hard struggle on a day-to-day -day basis where you're full of like indecision and self-doubt and all that kind of stuff it's sort of relevant to 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 our discussions on the day-to-day -day basis so i'm aware of all these different concepts yeah, yeah and that's why i'm like i'd rather like spend an hour or an hour and a half with myself and actually try and imbue and infuse these sort of like f these perspectives into my day-to-day -day rather yeah. than like have another conversation with i think it's probably room for both i i get it you know the the the, the benefit of having a life coach but it for me it's like okay i know a lot about these exercises part of my job is to talk to other people about these sort of themes and in reality what i need to do is sit with myself and, and try and like paint these into my day-to-day -day and just remind myself of yes you might be going through a struggle with your business mm. or you might be uh suffering indecision or self-doubt but you know good things are going to happen in the end you've got to like really manifest that I mean, you manifest a lot. We talked about it on the previous pod, right? Like, like manifesting. You you believe in all that kind of stuff, right? No, no, definitely. And um, look, I think with the life coach thing and a lot of things in life, like you know, sometimes things just come at the right moment, right? And maybe this is not that moment for you. You got to ask if it's your heart or your ego, right? That's the big question, right? Yeah. Your heart, but it sounds like it's your heart. It's from, Probably both. Like you know, because the ego might be a bit afraid. Yeah, the ego might be a bit afraid. So, ooh, someone else is going to start listening to your thoughts. Like you know, that that voice starts coming. So I think. It's a personal thing, right? So you're someone that is proactively trying to get better and there's some things that you know you want to fix. Um, for me, I look at a life coach like, you know, it's every two weeks, so it might be every month. I don't look to like learn new techniques. Mm. It's more as a check-in. It's like someone who's like making sure that I am, you know, operating in from the right place because sometimes I may go off track. I just need, because I don't, one thing also why I think life coach is good is like, this is going a bit raw, but I'm gonna be. I'm just gonna say it out there, right? Like you know, like you sometimes have people who just like you know you do check in, saying hey, how you doing? Next thing you know, like they just literally just go off on one, and it's just like literally bam, 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 bam. You're like whoa, whoa, I just like 
just checking for you're right, man. I didn't like this wasn't supposed to be like a therapy life coach session. I call it pigeon shitting. Like so basically you're like <laughs> just walking in life and you're like, Hey, how you doing? And suddenly or like, you know, your friend suddenly calls and it's like bam, 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 bam. I'm like, yo, I just literally finished my food. I didn't expect all this shit to land on my face. Um so like for me, the life coach actually stops me from pigeon shitting. I'm hoping I don't do that to any of my friends and to anyone. Like, that's why things like journaling are very good because you can just release that, you know, the good yeah. and the bad thoughts on a piece of paper. Um, and that's why things like yoga, meditation, whatever you want to do, but like just relax and ease the mind is great. And for me, the life coach is another, it's just another method to make me feel more calm and more peaceful and stop me from pigeon shitting. So, um, that should be probably the sales pitch for a life coach. Hey, stop pigeon shitting the world. Um, How to stop pigeon yeah. shitting? I see a blog post, man. That's a that, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Amit, why don't you give us your like? What what are your highlights? What life changing takeaways can you take from this conversation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the listener topic, I thought that was really on point because I'm in meetings with Jay, and this is something that he does. He's like the opposite because. Most of the time when we're taught to listen as being silent and waiting for your turn to talk. And Jay's actually the master of this. When you, when you see him in a business meeting, you often think he's not even listening. He'll be like checking his phone or something. Uh, and really, then he'll say something. You're like, fuck, he really, really listened. So it, it's like the opposite. Most people are acting like they're listening, but they're not actually listening with their heart. Whereas you don't even need to look like you're listening. But if it's hitting you at a deep level i think that's true listening do you know what thanks for my that. man my man <laughs> i'm gonna give it a clap for that. <laughs> <laughs> that was sick what what was the other takeaway mate the other big one was the stockdale paradox so yeah i was just thinking about your morning routine rupee and you were saying about affirmations but then at the same time you do need to confront shit um and I think that's that, that's something that I definitely need to work on because I'm just like, people often avoid uh, the things that is causing them stress, but confronting the shit but still having the faith that it will improve. I, I'm just w wondering, how does uh, how do you balance that with affirmations? Because when I think of affirmations, it's like everything's positive. And then uh, how do you balance yeah. that with sometimes, you know, you're going through through the ringers? So with my affirmations, that is more of a reminder of the end goal. Because sometimes when you're in the shit, I mean, l let me speak like pretty frankly here. Life's good, right? Like life is very good, um, generally speaking, when I think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, and just generally where I am in my life and where it has been over the last like, you know, what every single year of my life, I would say, I can always look back on with positivity because I practice gratitude. But the affirmations are really a reminder for me of like, okay, what the end goal looks like such that when you're going through a stressful day, which are, you know, most days you're going to have some stresses, whether it's an employee, whether it's indecision, whether it's, you know, oh, we didn't get this contract or like, oh, I didn't get enough likes on social media, even stupid shit that I, I, I really don't want to admit to myself, let alone other people that actually, you know, does rock my day. It's just a reminder of like that end goal. So to use the extreme example that Stockdale had was his reality was like being tortured like every other day. It, where my affirmations fit in this sort of analogy is he's reminded to himself with whatever the, the end point is, it's going to get better. And so the affirmations for me serve as that reminder is like things are going to get better. That That's how I fit it into my day. Awesome. Uh, and then the last one with the life coach, I was just thinking... 
yeah, I'm similar. I've never thought that I would need a life coach. But then I was just thinking, actually, I'm sure friends externally will look at me and be like, okay, he's making those mistakes or there's something he's not seeing. But you can, you can see that in all of your friends. And um, yeah, probably like a life coach is like, you can't tickle yourself. There's things that you're going to be blind to. And having yeah. that impartial observer will be good yeah, or something to think about. Yeah. Shit, man. I should get a life coach. <laughs> I'm basically... Rupee, stop stop bigging yourself up. You need to get a life coach. Yeah, sit yourself down. You don't know everything. <laughs> I think um, a life coach helps and also having good peers. And I think that's something that I do, which is something else we can definitely talk about maybe on another conversation. We, we've, ta- we've talked about that over lunch before, like, you know, who you surround yourself with. We should talk about that in the next episode. Uh, definitely on another podcast. All right, should yeah, we wrap sure. there? Richard, before we wrap up anything, on- <laughs> oh, I've got I've got feedback, Jay, but we're going to keep that off the call, mate. <laughs> That's a nice way of, of saying uh, we got some yeah. work to do, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's like a naughty kid, right? I'm like, oh shit. See me good. after class. <laughs> you do you don't have like a, a B minus. It's just see me. Yeah. <laughs> you know you're in the shit when you see that. <laughs> All right, thanks, Rich. All right, I guess that's the end of this podcast. All right, then. cool. That's that's a pod. That's that's it. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you so much for listening through to the end. I hope you enjoyed that. And I'm gonna be real with you guys. I like winning. I mean, I really, really like to win. And winning to me right now is making a success of this show and building our community of happy millionaires. And I need your help to do this. Can you send this show to two or three friends, maybe your business partners or anyone else that could find a bit of joy listening to this show? If you also want to get in touch to give us any feedback, tell us what you like, what you don't like, even just about something we might find interesting to talk about on the pod, you can get in touch with us through the website, happymillionaire.club. Thank you so much for your support and we'll see you on the next one.